it, it's translating those those skill sets into non-veterinary terms makes you really realize, well, oh my God, I, I could do a lot of things. Welcome to the Veterinary Blueprint Podcast, brought to you by Butler Vet Insurance, hosted by Bill Butler. The Veterinary Blueprint Podcast is for veterinarians and practice managers who are looking to learn about working on their practice instead of in their practice. Each episode, we will bring you successful proven blueprints from others both inside and outside the veterinary industry. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome to the Veterinary Blueprints Podcast, where animal health meets business and entrepreneurship ideas and insights. I am your host, Bill Butler, and today we have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Stephanie Morley. She has been newly appointed as the president of Vetland Advanced Veterinary Devices, and she assumed that role as president uh, recently here in October of 2023. She has over 20 years experience in uh, veterinary medicine, and Stephanie's career spans from practicing small animal medicine in uh, New Mexico and Michigan and three doctor practices to leading roles in research and business development. She's helped the animal health industry by bringing groundbreaking products to the veterinary field, and her unique blend of experience in clinical and business makes her a visionary for veterinary leadership healthcare. They're vet- a visionary for leadership in veterinary healthcare, and I would love to welcome Dr. Stephanie Morley to the podcast today. So, welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited. We connected on LinkedIn, as a lot of things happen in the the thought leader uh, realm for the veterinary space. And we got connected on LinkedIn. And while I was researching, uh, bringing you on, before we kind of get into your background bio, I saw that you had the opportunity to ring the opening bell on Wall Street. You said before we got started, that gets asked a lot. Um, And so why don't you give us a little background and how uh, you went from, in your background, going from a small uh, three-doctor practice in New Mexico out of vet school to being able to ring the opening bell on Wall Street as a as a co-founder of a medical device company. So how long is this podcast again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we all have those stories, right? So Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I won't, you know, I'll let you ask any questions you have, but to, to shorten that trajectory, um, I, to the short answer, I have no idea how it happened. Um, I would like to say that I had some, you know, strategy going into my life and my career and I developed it accordingly, but that just wasn't the case. Um, but I do think that it was a lot of, um, a lot of taking opportunities that I didn't think, um, would ever come to me. I think it was, um, some of it was desperation, you know, leaving practice out of desperation and then jumping into a world of, of contract research that I didn't know anything about. Um, and then kind of making more intentional decisions about really wanting to learn new things and work with people I enjoyed working with. And with each move, it kind of, um, led me to really, uh, learning new skill sets that I could apply to the next thing. And so, um, when I had the opportunity to co-found that company, it was um, really, you know, an opportunity to build a pipeline of products that I knew I would have used in in practice. And um, part of the strategy for Zomatica was um, a financial strategy to take the company public. Um, but it was also then my um, opportunity to develop that pipeline. So, you know, it was all those experiences that just kind of built on each other that, um, kind of all came full circle and 
led me to that opportunity. So, you know, in the way back time machines, you know, Stephanie going to school at the University of Michigan, uh, and you didn't go to the University of Michigan, you to uh, Michigan State University. Yeah, Michigan State. So you were a Spartan, but then you wound up working for the enemy and going to work for University of Michigan. Yeah, it was a little painful there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, going from, from that to, to practicing medicine, now your first job was down in New Mexico as a veterinarian. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. I, I had an interest. So my undergrad was in hospitality business. So I always kind of had this um, interest in, in business and just providing service. I come from a line of small business owners and, you know, um, so I liked the idea of uh, the business of, of practice of the business of offering veterinary care. And so, um, and it, you know, I graduated in 2003. So this was around the time when consolidation was really starting to happen with hospitals. And, um, I wanted to move out West. And so, you know, cause that's a good reason. Um, I started, uh, looking for corporate practices that had, um, hospitals out West. And so, um, that's how I ended up with that role was I did an, an externship with a corporate practice that was out West and um, they hired me when I graduated. And then, you know, you wound up back in Michigan. So, you, you know, you get into the veterinary world, you wind up in a practice out West and then you wind up getting, you know, moving to a veterinary practice back. In, now you're from Mich- Michigan area. So it seems like, so back to Michigan. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of veterinarians might have that experience, right? Where, you know, we have here in Minnesota, we have a lot of transplant veterinarians coming to school from all across the country. And I think, you know, you went to vet school close to home and I think some vets, some uh, veterinarians do that, but, you know, they travel around, they wind up doing an externship where they, they go to school potentially, and they, they wind up getting a job there out of state. And then, you know, down the road in their career, they wind up at some point, maybe transferring home you transitioned out of, so you transitioned back to Michigan, but then you transitioned away from, uh, you know, practice. And I think there's a, a lot of veterinarians who feel that they love the industry, but they have a hard time with the work-life balance. And, you know, AVMA has a lot of studies where, you know, you look at the numbers, 50% of veterinarians are contemplating leaving practice. And you were one of those veterinarians who did leave practice, but you were able to transition that. Do you want to talk about that for our listeners who might be, you know, getting into the industry or in the, in the, um, you know, in the industry now who are thinking about maybe transitioning out and how you were able to leverage that as the next phase of your career in the animal health industry? Yeah, I, I mean, when I left practice, both my practice, my first practice experience was pretty bad. Long story short, I ended up in solo practice about three months after I graduated from vet school. So um, it was a really rough uh, first practice experience for me. And then when I came back to Michigan and practice, I loved the practice I was in, loved the people, but we did our own emergencies. And um, I just, that wasn't going to cut it for me, um, starting a new family and um, coming in for weekend and evening hospitalization and emergencies and everything. So, um, but I had a non-compete. And so, um, so that's what really forced my hand into leaving practice um, and ended up in lab animal. Um, so, you know, that transition, I think what I learned was you don't, as a veterinarian, they tell you in school, I, they tell you, but you don't believe them. 
um, that there's so many things you can do with this degree, right? Um, but when you get out there and you're doing the work, sometimes you feel like you're only good at the things that you were trained to do and that you can't necessarily apply new things because you've never done them before or you don't have a degree in it, right? So I don't know if I would have made the leap to lamb animal um, if, it, if I wasn't so desperate to leave practice because I'd never worked on the majority of species I was going to be working with. I'd never worked in a research setting, um, but I did it and I learned a lot and um, I got exposed to the whole world of how drugs and medical devices are, are created and, and um, researched and approved, not just for human medicine, but for veterinary medicine as well. Um, and worked with a ton of species I'd never thought I'd work with, et cetera. And it really kind of helped open my eyes to realize like, you know, we all learn things on the job. Right. Um, and so sometimes it's just a matter of saying like, I'm open to something new and I will learn something new. And I was really fortunate in the position that I ended up in because that institution gave me, I think I had maybe seven or eight titles in eight years. Um, yeah. If, looking at your, it was like, holy cow, you just, you really did it all um, in that, in that role that you had and you were exposed to that. Were, were there times where you thought, I have no idea what I'm doing, but they're giving me this opportunity. So I shouldn't say no, I should say yes. Every day, every day. And I think that's what, um, that's what, you know, life experience has allowed me to be able to look back and recognize nobody knows what they're doing every day. <laughs> like we it's all kind have of that our imposter area. syndrome, right? They talk about imposter it syndrome is. all the time, right? Like all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, women are particularly bad with it because I don't know if you ever read, I think it's called the confidence gap. It's a book. Um, I have not. I'm going to write that down. Yeah. It's a very good book. It talks about the difference in confidence between men and women. And, the good example that I had, I was on a panel with somebody um, one time, a woman that was high up in HR in a large company. And she said, you know, if you have 10 requirements for a job description, a woman will look at it and say, well, I have nine, so I won't apply. A man will look at it and say, I have five. So of course I'll apply and I'll get the job. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and that's stereotyping, but still. Um, I, I think it's accurate. I don't think it's stereotyping. I mean, I think it's accurate. And so, it, we, and then you put that we're veterinarians on top of that. And veterinarians are perfectionists. You have to be perfectionist. You have to be really hard on yourself in order to get into that school. Um, and then you're thrown out to practice. And it's not called the art of medicine. It's called the practice of medicine. So you're not going to get it right every time. And that is a really challenging thing for people like us who have, had to get everything right all the time to get to that point. Um, so you lower confidence or you, you have this self-doubt, you have this imposter syndrome and now you work in a, a perfectionist kind of mentality. Yep. And you're working in a commercial world where you're providing a service to somebody who can go ruin your reputation on Yelp in, you know, five seconds. So and you're going to internalize that. I mean, to use the stereotype, right? Because I mean, the majority of veterinary students are women. There's a lot more diversity happening in the veterinary community, which is awesome to see. But all of those issues that you're talking about, like I'm married and the things that you're talking about, my wife is not in the veterinary animal health world, but it's the self-confidence and perfectionism and, you know, all the things that are said in society 
And I think that's just amplified in the veterinary community because you're also empaths and you're a lot, not, not very extroverted. You're more introverted. You'd rather deal with the animals than the, than the clients. Like I'm here for the dogs and cats and kittens and horses and ponies. And I have to deal with the people because they pay the bill but I'd rather deal with the animal. And so you just kind of compound all those things. You know, I wrote a book about insurance for veterinarians and like people are like, Oh, you're an author is like, well, I don't really feel like an author. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not in Barnes and Noble. So that imposter syndrome, you know, that's real. I think to stereotype men have an easier time shaking that off in a lot of respects. I I have imposter syndrome about things, but um, I think in the industry of the veterinary community, it's more prevalent because of all those, um, external societal things that are in place. And so it's harder for women traditionally to say yes to those opportunities and take the risks than it is for men. Cause we're supposed to take risks and it's ingrained in us from a young age, which is why we have a shorter life expectancy between the ages of, you know, five and 20 because we do right. take more risks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what I learned was one, I was desperate the first time I left practice. And then a lot of those opportunities I got within that, you know, within um, the CRO I was working in, one of the most important things was it was actually a woman who um, was hiring and wanted me to apply for a job that I hadn't applied for. And she, you know, asked me why I hadn't applied. And I said, well, I didn't think I was qualified. And she said, you know, in the future, don't ever keep, let something, you know, you, you thinking you're not qualified for something, keep you from applying for it. And, um, that was a good lesson for me to learn there. So, you know, my advice to veterinarians is also one that's life experience. It's like, you just kind of gain some confidence and wisdom, but also it's do not be fooled into thinking that you are only trained to be a veterinarian. Everything you do in private practice is applicable to things outside of veterinary medicine. And I mean, if you, you don't, we don't like to be salespeople. Veterinarians hate salespeople, but guess what? You are a salesperson because your patient is not going to get what it needs if you can't effectively sell that recommendation to the owner. You don't like you know, managing people, but you manage people all day, every day, whether it's the staff or the relationship with the client. Um, or even your vendor relationships with pharmaceutical companies or any of that. So you have to manage all those relationships. Yeah. And the other one I say to people all the time too, is like, um, you know, if you put on your resume, I can do surgery, like, okay, that's fine. Most people outside of veterinary medicine are not going to care. Right. But when you say that you are an effective decision maker in high stress environments, guess what? That's applicable. And that's what surgery can be. So it, it's translating those those skill sets into non-veterinary terms makes you really realize, well, oh my God, I, I could do a lot of things. Um, but then it's, okay, but how do you go find that next thing? And that's where I think networking is important. So you said, you know, we found each other on LinkedIn. Um, there are not enough practicing veterinarians on LinkedIn. It's just yeah. So it's interesting. I've done some research on that, Stephanie, just, you know, where's the marketplace to speak with veterinarians or centers of influence, all of the thought leaders in the veterinary community, whether it's lenders, attorneys, a medical device, they're all on LinkedIn, which is where the business world lives. And, uh, you know, I'm in the insurance world, like every insurance agent in the world insurance company, they're all on LinkedIn. Only 12% of surveyed veterinarians or people inside animal health are in link, on LinkedIn. 
and 93% are on Facebook and, and Instagram. And I think, again, that's kind of the function of the mindset of their role in society is the happy picture stuff and, and um, you know, putting on your practice owner hat versus just an associate, like you have to step up your game just a little bit to be able to network and connect and communicate and build a network around you, whether you own a practice or you want to leave practice or any of those things. Um, you know, we, we've touched on it. What was your biggest challenge? Was it getting out of your own own self-talk, self-doubt in your head? Was that the biggest challenge that you had as you progressed through your career after leaving practice? Um, if I had to narrow it down to one, yes, probably. Um, because I was given so many opportunities that um, that were so valuable and led to the next opportunity that, um, you know, the, the challenges were sure there were other challenges, but if I had to narrow it down, like, what's that one thing that really, you know, and I guess it was a challenge. It also just, um, depleted joy. You know, I, I was talking to another friend yesterday about the whole startup experience. And, um, if I could go back and redo, you know, my career, um, I would have, I would have been easier on myself so that I could really enjoy the moment of what I was learning, you know, and how I was growing. And um, so, yeah, that, that little inner voice is a really powerful and nasty beast. Yeah. The, the, you know, we touched on the imposter syndrome piece or the, I can't do this, or, you know, I've, my background is not business. I, I didn't, you know, I, middling student in high school, um, not good in English, wrote a book. My mom couldn't, you know, my mom has a background in teaching and she was unlike, she couldn't believe it. Just absolutely couldn't believe it. And so, you know, the limitations that we put on ourselves and I think you have to get through, you know, men don't really, uh, mature until their mid thirties, early forties. There's a lot of studies and science behind that where we, you know, our brains are developing until in our twenties. And I think, um, you know, you don't have that life experience you were talking about where you have to give yourself grace to go through all those challenges and to go through all the education that veterinarians need to do to become a veterinarian, just, you know, just to be able to go out and practice your profession like that life and world experience that you gain through school actually gives you a leg up on the rest of society because you've, you've done that, that work. And so I think transitioning for you from, from some of those things where you co-founded a company what were, you know, when you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave the, the research space and, and co-found a company. How, how was that different than from being an employee to say, okay, now I'm, I'm actually running the show versus just being in charge of departments. Yeah, that was a huge transition that, um, you know, hindsight is so 2020 on, you know, it's a really good example in my life. Like if I had known what I was getting into at that time, would I have made the same decision? But I'm so grateful that I did, you know, because the amount of life experience and, and um, opportunity I got, you know, was just like I never could have imagined. Um, but, yeah, it was transitioning from kind of, you know, being a leader, being a, but being a bit of a doer because I wasn't, you know, developing the strategy to all of a sudden uh, – developing the entire strategy and, and, you know, where are we going and, um, hiring the right people and, um, 
you know, making the best decisions for our investors and all of that stuff. That was, um, that was a new world for me. Um, but I think I, I really enjoyed it because I always said like, I went into veterinary medicine for a lot of reasons, but, um, like I, I was meant to be a veterinarian because I enjoy decision-making. Like I like to be in a position of, um, making the decision because I'm totally comfortable with, if I make the wrong one, I will own it and I will learn from it and we will all be better for it moving forward. But if I, I hate being in a position where someone else makes the decision for me and I know it's not the right decision, but I have to do something. I have to make it happen anyway. Um, and so being, starting a company from the ground up really gave me more opportunity to have more control over a lot of those decisions than I had ever had before. Um, and that was a really good place to be, but yeah, it was, it was a big switch from what I'd been used to. So I was actually on the phone with a insurance, uh, a life insurance broker this morning in my local area. And we partner on a lot of stuff and we we're actually talking about a, a veterinary practice that we're going to go work with on, on a couple items. And, and we both, his dad started his business, his life insurance brokerage, and my dad started my agency. And we, you know, so we're a couple of second gen insurance nerds and um, who, who run our business. And just like in the veterinary community, there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of opportunity. If I wanted to sell my practice right now or my insurance agency, there's no shortage to do that. I could go leverage my experience into, you know, may, probably making substantially more money working for somebody else. But at the end of the day, there is an element of being the captain of your own ship and being able to make those decisions. And I said, I really don't, I'll take the pay cut to be the person in charge. And I was in the military. I told uh, my buddy, Chris, I said, I was in the military for 12 years and I signed a I signed away my actual constitutional rights to be in the military. And so I don't want to be in that position again. I'd rather, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ride the sinking ship down. Hopefully I ride off into the sunset with it. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity for veterinarians out there. It was interesting. I just had the opportunity to speak to the VBMA at the U of M and over over 40% of the, the students in the room, the vet students in the room, these are first and second year, a couple third year students. They said, who's going to open a practice or own a practice someday? And like almost half of the room raised their hand where I think five years ago, that wasn't the case. And I think there's a lot more entrepreneurial spirit with the incoming veterinarians out there. And they, the opportunity to say yes to, oppor yes to the opportunities that are presented to them is very important. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This episode of the Veterinary Blueprint Podcast is sponsored by Butler Vet Insurance. Being an insurance agent at Butler Vet Insurance, I've seen firsthand the difficulties veterinarians face insuring their practices. But do you know that we wrote the book on veterinary insurance? It's called Protecting Your Veterinary Practice, Insider Insurance Secrets Every Veterinarian Must Know. It's not just a book, it's a comprehensive guide that speaks to the unique challenges and insurance solutions for the veterinary community. With over 20 years' experience from cyber liability to business auto and workers' compensation, our aim at Butler Vet Insurance is to reduce the stress of insurance for those dedicated to animal care. If you're a veterinary practice owner or manager and looking for some guidance on your insurance, follow our insurance blueprint. Discover the Butler Vet Insurance difference, and together, let's put the pieces of the puzzle together. Butler Vet Insurance, 
reducing the stress of insurance. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And I think the VBMA, like having that wasn't around when I was in vet school, that would have been amazing. Um, but I think even having an organization like that, that um, you're, you're developing business minded uh, students is awesome. I think it's also, a you know, it's impossible for vet schools to teach us everything we need to know because veterinary, you have to learn the science, but then, you know, most schools have like one practice management course or whatever. And it's like, but the hard part is most veterans who go into private practice, like it is business, whether you like it or not. And so um, I'm happy to see organizations like that going and happy to see more and more support things outside of vet schools, you know, through organizations where they're teaching financial literacy and teaching, you know, um, more professional development and human and uh, human resource skills and things like that, because they really are absolutely required for people to be successful in practice. Um, and if they don't have those skills, even if they don't think they want them, if they don't have them, you're, it's just going to reduce, prof- you know, professional satisfaction. So yeah, you're, you're a business owner. You, you might, you might be a doctor of veterinary medicine, but I own an insurance agency and you own a veterinary practice and they're both businesses and we both employ people and we both have clients and we have a PL and all those things that you have to pay the rent and do all those things. And you can hire a lot of that out, but you've got to do that. And so when you're the person at the top, you're making those decisions. And now you're the person at the top of Vetland and you were recently named the, the, the president in October, how did that come about and how did that feel being picked or named as president of a, a medical device company, specifically in the animal health community? Yeah. So, um, through my, you know, time working at business development academia and being on, on the innovation side of, of, um, biotech and the human side, and then transitioning and starting a company and really, looking specifically for technologies that were being developed for human medicine, but licensing those rights and looking for an opportunity in vet med. I kind of established a reputation, at least in um, some communities and definitely in the Michigan community um, for being a veterinarian who can look at something and say whether there's a place in vet med for it or not. And so that's how I was introduced to Vetland was because the parent company for that, um, for Vetland is developing a product for the human sector. And so they had done some animal work and recognized there might be a place for, for this product. I talked to, I don't know, at least a company a month, probably, um, maybe even more um, of people saying, hey, I've got this product, you know, and I almost always say, no, that's not going to work in veterinary medicine for one reason or another. Um, but when I met the group from Vetland, from the parent company from Vetland, I was like, Okay, they got something here. Um, and why why so, did you feel that way about this product or service versus the other opportunities that you were presented with? Because they had one, the product works, and there is a need for it. So it's a it's a device that delivers drug locally um, up to thirty days and can be removed like a drain. So it's um, it it's useful for surgical site infections as well as existing infections and allows veterinarians the opportunity to treat locally. Um, and it, so that in and of itself was like, okay, the product has a place. 
Um, but then also it was the research behind it. Um, it's primarily significant amount of funding from the DOD. It's being developed for orthopedic uh, implant infections to reduce uh, biofilm development. Um, and to have whenever there's funding from DOD or it's they have lots any, of money, I hear they have for a lot funding. Of money, yeah. <laughs> when they're when they're trying to do something to help um, the lives of on the battlefield, the the restrictions that occur to physicians trying to treat pe- patients on the battlefield, or what physicians are trying to do in third world countries, for example, that's where human medicine starts experiencing the similar constraints that veterinarians feel. And so the products that are being developed for those sectors often, I think, have application to vet med. And so when I saw that, and then the team is just awesome. The, the yeah. So the people are good. It's a people good product. Good. The There's a good. need. Yep. You're filling a gap. And so it kind of checked a lot of the boxes that maybe some of these other products didn't have. And it so really they reached, did. And yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was just, it was also just the right time. I was ready to, to go make something happen again for the, for the next, the next evolution. And so, so that's your driving force and, and what, you know, for you personally taking this role as president of this company at this time in your career, how, you know, what's the impact and what do you bring to the table and how do you feel your presence there will be able to make an impact and, and help the veterinary community in in your role with this specific product? Um, well, I hope, that my impact is I'm pretty passionate about voice of customer. Um, so I believe when you look at when you look at who the people are that are leading the companies and making the products that veterinarians rely on, most of them are not representative of the demographic of veterinarians themselves. They're either not veterinarians, they're mostly men. Um, Why are you and- describing me, Stephanie? <laughs> You're you're providing a wonderful service to the veterinary community. So yeah. thank you. But nonetheless, I think, and it's true on the human side too, because I was on that side too, is that if you can bring the voice of customer into, so put it this way, startups in like the um, tech space, they're developing technology application, things like that. They bring market research in so early in that process because they have to make it right for adoption, right? On the medical side of things, we don't do that. They just develop something that's like, oh, yeah, this solves a problem. That's really great. We patent it. We develop it and we launch it. They're not out there talking to MDs or talking to DBMs and saying, does this fit your need? Could you do it better? Would you like it smaller? Would you like it bigger? Is it the right color? Is it the right size? You know, how else would you use this product? Like do that early on. And then you're actually pulling those customers into the product development process and then you're actually creating something for them that they will use and that's made for them. And veterinarians have not experienced that because we don't get a lot of products made specifically for us. So as a veterinarian, as someone who has been in private practice, and as someone who has also developed products for veterinarians previously, um, you know, I'm a, I, I believe that Vetlin asked me to come on board because I bring that perspective. So I am very, very much about, I will not you know, I want to tie my names to products that I know work and that are going to add value because, I mean, frankly, a lot of my friends are veterinarians, right? So, um, so I, I believe that's, uh, that's the benefit I will bring to, to the company. And with, you know, with, with launching a product from 
so you're in right now, you know, we're recording this December of, of 23. So you're in pre-launch of the product. So, you know, I've out on the website, you know, like I said, doing some research and for the lay non-veterinarian mind lizard brain that I have, again, kind of the insurance guy, it's basically a medical pouch that gets inserted with a, a, a catheter into the site localization and it will deliver you know, antibiotics, drugs, pain meds, or whatever it's going to be localized to the site. And w- so that's kind of what it does, right? I mean, just describing the product for our listeners who aren't going to go out and Google Vetlin, it's it's basically just a, they, and of course, I'm this is the most medical thing I've discussed on the podcast to date. So I'm way out of my depth of knowledge, but that's basically what it does, right? Basically, yes. I mean, you're pretty close. It's not inserted with a catheter, but there is a catheter that's that's exteriorized from that site um, so that you can basically deliver drugs every day up to 30 days locally. And what's on the market like this right now for, for veterinarians to be able to use? Really nothing. Um, there's really nothing that allows this amount of flexibility to provide, uh, the right antibiotic at the right place at the right time for that length of Hmm. time. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's pretty, pretty awesome. So your pre-launch now, we're recording this December of 23, kind of what's the timeline, you know, magic wand, wave it, where, where are you, you know, six months from now or three months from now, or kind of what, where, where, where are you going to be? in the future with this and, and for the veterans listening out there going, yeah, we really do need this. What's the timeline for, for them to see this? Yeah. So first quarter of next year. So the first three months of next year, I'm going to be focusing most of um, getting product in the, in the hands of boarded surgeons and other veterinarians who want to be kind of our beta testers and to get some clinical, um, some clinical studies started. Cause I want to have that data to really support the efficacy of it. Um, and then in second quarter of next year, we will have our first product ready for launch. And that's the first size product. Um, and we have a program. If you go to our website, which is just vetlen.com, um, we are giving away one free pouch. Um, uh, so I saw you do have, you have some clinical trial stuff. You're giving away free pouches. Like there's some opportunity like right now for veterinarians out there who want to check this out. Um, also some, uh, I won't go into the great detail, but go, we'll have links in the show notes for people to go for veterinarians to go out and check this out. But there's uh, some grants as well, I think, for research, research grants that you're, you're going to be giving away as well, correct? Yeah, we have a few research grants um, for any residents that are doing um, that would be open to doing publishable, publishable research with our device. We will provide uh, $5,000 and pouches for that study. Great. Well, I've really enjoyed our, our time together. We, we've kind of covered the arc of how to get into vet med, being an entrepreneur, and hey, here's some medical device stuff that Bill doesn't know what he's talking about on. So thank you very much. I appreciate I appreciate that. Um, what would you, you know, for our listeners out there, what would you leave them with of, you know, one or t- the, the one thing that, you know, if a young Stephanie branching out, you could you could give out what would you tell your other vet students as a third or fourth year student before getting into the veterinary industry as a, as a DVM? Um, it would be really to think beyond what it is you think you want to do. Um, do what you want to do, do what makes you happy, learn from everything you do and establish that network. Cause I can guarantee you um, don't know what other possibilities you have down the road. Yeah. 
Well, that's awesome advice, Stephanie. Thank you so much for for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really glad that we got connected and really glad that you're, you're out there providing uh, resources for veterinarians to fill gaps in, in their healthcare needs for, you know, you never know, my little cat Louie one day might need a Vetlin pouch to uh, post-surgery. I uh, hope he never needs it, but if he does, I hope your product's out there for him. So thanks so much to you and for uh, joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And as always, remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps with our algorithms. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Veterinary Blueprints. If you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions for an episode, I would love to hear from you. Email me at bill at butlervetinsurance.com. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you could do me a huge favor, you know it helps with the algorithm. If you can like, share, or comment on the post, leave a review, I would love it. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time.